Welcome to the Bethel Church Austin Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Renee Evans. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com. Hello. Okay, before I get started, ushers, can you lock the doors? Please. I'm just kidding. Maybe. I don't know. Okay. I need a stool tonight because I need to sit down. Um, I always ask the Lord, I'm always like, God, can you just give me a message on like love, peace, joy? You know, like all those happy things that no one gets upset at me over. And it never really works out that way. (laughs) And so I'm like, well, you know what? I kind of like a little bit of controversy. I I kind of thrive on uh, having a dog and some fights so to speak. And so tonight I am going to be speaking on women in ministry. Yeah, come on. Yeah. Oh, yay. Obviously I'm going to be preaching to the choir. But (laughs) I want to pray first. Um, I was able to take my uh, seven pages and, sorry, my 12 pages and seven book excerpts down to seven pages. So I feel like that's a victory in and of itself. Um, So I need Jesus. (laughs) Everyone just stretch your hands towards me and just say, help her, Lord. God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the scriptures that are God-breathed and God-ordained. And God, I ask that you would just come tonight, Holy Spirit, and guide us as we delve into your scriptures, God, that you would help give us a fresh perspective on your word, Father, and that the word would line up with your character. We know that you are a good God. We know that you are a good God. So we approach this text and these scriptures with that in mind and that as our core center, that you are a good God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so I may have to, uh, for the sake of time, speed through a couple of things. I'm going to do my best to be as thorough as I can, but this is um, it's a very important message to me. Uh, One, because I am the co-senior pastor of a church, so it's kind of a big deal for me, but also because I feel the weight of responsibility on this to do a good job in presenting this, and and so I'm going to do my best in the six hours that I have to, (laughs) just kidding, um, to to really dive deep, but it is my hope and my prayer that this would just be encouragement for you to go back into the scriptures and do your own study and look into the word of God and begin to ask questions and just not believe what we've always been taught to believe, but actually inquire of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Okay, so as most of you know, I was born again into a church, uh, Hillsong Church in Sydney, Australia. Whoop, whoop. Um, and the pastors of that church, the senior pastors of that church is Brian and Bobby Houston. Bobby being the wife, I know that name is a little bit confusing, but um, Brian and Bobby Houston, I was born again into that church, and so I was born again into the model of church with a powerful man and a powerful woman co-leading, co-building, co-pioneering a movement together. So that is, that is where I'm coming from, and I also come from a family where, praise the Lord, my dad always told me that I could be whatever I wanted to be. He never told me that some things were just off limits because I was a woman. He never told my brother that he could achieve more, that he was more valuable, that he was more important than I was. And he just launched me to always believe that I had something significant to contribute. And so that is my background, and that is the lens in which I view the scriptures. And I just want to uh, remind us that we all come to the Bible with lenses. It would be foolish of us to think 
theologians, scholars, translators, that we do not approach the Bible without a bias. The way in which we approach the Bible is made up of our education, the country and the culture in which we were born, the time that we were born in, the relationships that we've had, the people that we've loved, the workplaces where we have worked. It all makes up our lens in which we view this. So bear that in mind. We cannot come to this without any prejudice. But we can ask Holy Spirit to guide us because he is not prejudiced. And it says that he will guide us into all truth. Amen? Amen. So my, um, my world got a little bit rocked when people began to say things to me like, whoa, you're going to be a female pastor in the Bible Belt. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, female pastors, they're awesome. Like, they're amazing. That's what I was, you know, born again into. And I soon realized that that isn't the norm. I, um, we, as you know, have a great uh, unity among the churches here in Austin. And we're a little bit more liberal, in case we haven't noticed, here in Austin, <laughs> than perhaps some of the more conservative areas of the Bible Belt. But the majority of people who gather together to pray, leaders of churches, are men. Here in Austin... Maybe 5% women are at those gatherings. So whilst I know that most of you in this room are probably okay with female preachers, I mean, I preach enough that if you weren't, you wouldn't be here, I'm guessing. <laughs> so I'm not so much as preaching to you, but I'm preaching to the culture that we live in. You know, um, I got a little bit mad. Um, there was a Southern Baptist convention and they came to meet to say that Beth Moore was not allowed to preach on a Sunday because there would be men in the room. And just to give you some context, there's 5,000 Southern Baptist churches here in Texas. 5,000, 40,000 in the United States. And of those 5,000 here in Texas, two of them, two of them have women in a pastoral role. So I realize that I may be tipping over a sacred cow here. <laughs> I refrained from bringing my whip. <laughs> but as you can imagine, this is a subject. There we go. <laughs> Our team has downloaded apps that have like the, the whip sound on it. So um, they're going to just be my, my, my background vocals tonight. Um, <laughs> So to say that I have a dog in this fight is an understatement. And I want to just touch on this. A couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago, we were in Mexico, in your beautiful nation, uh, doing our first missions trip. And as we were planning for this, someone came to me and they were like, okay, so we're doing a youth conference. Can you fill one of the slots and speak to the girls at this youth conference? And I'm like, awesome. So Kess and I, my sister-in-law, we tag team preached on women in ministry at that and the comment was made, which is a true comment to some regard, was that there are some Sunday services, but I'm, we're not quite sure yet because some of the churches in Mexico still aren't on board for women preaching. And he's like, but we can try to like push that. And you know, usually I'm pretty feisty and I'm like, yes, let's push that. But at this time I was wrapping up work, preparing to take my three children on a missions trip. And I was like, you know what? I don't have a dog in that fight. <laughs> I'm exhausted enough having a dog in the fight in Texas. And I remember the day that we were leaving um, to go on the trip. I was washing my hair, where all great revelation comes from. And um, <laughs> I wasn't even talking to the Lord, to be honest. I was just kind of minding my own business, just getting ready to leave. And I heard the Lord say, I have a dog in that fight. And it both broke my heart that I didn't bother to consider to ask him. And it also made me realize how passionate he is about this subject. I'm going to go into my little uh, Martin Luther King uh, speech here. My little dream. So bear with me. But this is it. I have a dream of a day that the government of this world is ruled with heaven's agenda. 
a day where revival is so prevalent that people can't help but be encountered by the living God wherever they go. A day where the gospel will be preached and nations will be saved in a day. Where spirit-filled Christians will carry so much of the anointing and tangible presence of God that people would be healed by walking through their shadows. A day that Christians will love without judgment, preach without fear, and pray as the gates of hell shake. And I believe, as Joel did, that there will be a day where the Lord will pour out his spirit among all flesh. All flesh. Not flesh of some, not flesh of one gender, one race. All flesh. And so the big question is, and maybe some people are like, Renee, this is like a message for a women's conference. But this is not a women's issue. This is an us issue. And in fact, when you enter into this issue, you are entering in to history's most ancient battleground, and that is between the enemy and the woman. And the church has remained silent on matters, and we have watched as culture has shaped us instead of us shaping culture. You know, there's this quote, and it says, Some say that the issue of women in ministry is the most divisive issue to confront the church since the Reformation. It's a big deal. You know, people are coming down on both sides of this argument, and there are people who straight up believe that women should not be in any form of ministry, period. And then there are others on the other end of the pendulum that think that women should be doing just as much that the men are doing. And you have people placed all along this line. You know, I think that if we don't do a good job of modeling the empowerment of women and gender equality within the church, I mean, no wonder the world is confused. No wonder we have a feminist movement that is angry and hurting and putting down men in order for women to rise. It's just not how it was meant to be. You know, two-thirds of all Bible-believing Christians are women. Two-thirds. You know, as a woman, I'm probably going to reach people that Joaquin couldn't reach. It's shocking, I know. (laughs) And as a man, he is going to reach people that I could never reach. Some of my favorite preachers are men. Some of my favorite preachers are women. But we've had so many men leading churches without a woman's role. When two-thirds of our congregation are like, where are the women? Men leading women who don't believe in empowerment of women. I mean, there's something wrong with that picture. You know, I believe that it's the enemy's strategy to cut out two-thirds of God's army. I love this. It says, women missionaries were the first to translate the Bible for hundreds of language groups, and they did so in the most rugged and remote places. J. Herbert Cain, in his book, Life and Work on the Mission Field, stated this, the more difficult and dangerous the work, the higher ratio of women to men. Frederick Franson said this, when two-thirds of Christians are excluded from the work of evangelizing, the loss of God's cause is so great that it can hardly be described. And we know that Jesus told us to pray for laborers. You know, Matthew 9, 7, 37, 38, he said, And then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. We need everyone. We need everyone. Lauren Cunningham says, I believe the enemy is behind the confusion in the church about women and their active participation in ministry. And sadly, some people are unknowingly part of this strategy as they allow tradition 
and the misunderstanding of certain scriptures to prevent or blunt women in ministry. So let's get to the nitty gritty because I know what you're saying. I know what you're thinking. But there are verses in the Bible that would tell me different. So we are going to look at three tonight of the most prevalent verses that people would use against women in ministry. We're going to break it down a little bit, so bear with me, because, I mean, I love this stuff. I kind of geek out over it a little bit, but I understand that not everyone does, and sometimes it's just information. So I'm going to do my best to make it concise, (laughs) but bear with me, okay? All right, so these are the three scriptures we're going to look at. 1 Corinthians 11.3, which is the head of a woman is the man. That's our first one. That's my favorite one. The next one is 1 Corinthians 14.34, women should remain silent in the churches. That's my least favorite one. (laughs) And number three is uh, 1 Timothy 2.12, I do not permit women to to teach. Okay, so let's take a look at the historical context, right? Because we always have to approach the Bible and understand the culture in which it was written, the audience in which it was delivered to, and about the author who wrote it. Amen? To think that we can just approach the scriptures and it's all relevant to us in today's age without any nod to culture is foolish. He was writing letters in response to letters. So I'd like even to propose as we dig into this, that you're in a room, imagine you're in a room and you're overhearing a conversation on the telephone. You can't hear the other person on the other end of that conversation. So you have to make assumptions about what is being asked when you hear the reply of the person speaking. Right? Does that make sense? Okay. So all of these are replies to letters that were written to Paul. 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy, which is what we're looking at. Okay, historical context. We also have to know that the translators of the original text would add lines and paragraph breaks where the original writers never intended them to be. Okay. Who was the author of both of these letters? We know it is Paul. Now, I'm just going to apologize ahead of time. There are some Hebrew and Greek words in here that I know I am going to butcher. Um, So apologies ahead of time. Okay, so let's look at the author, and it was Paul. And one of the things to notice about Paul is who his mentor was. So we know that Paul was being brought up to be a rabbi, right, before he had his encounter with Jesus. We knew him actually to be quite a well-known scholar in the rabbinic community. And his mentor was a rabbi called Gamliel. I'm looking looking at my brother and sister-in-law to make sure I get these right. And the great thing about this rabbi was that before it was even famous, actually, when it wasn't popular at all, he held a high value for women. And there's recordings of this in his teachings about how he actually believed that women weren't subhuman, that they weren't property to be owned, but they were of value and not just for reproduction. So it's important to notice who taught the author. Now, I want to um, dive a little bit into two women that Paul endorsed within 1 Corinthians. There's actually more than that, but I only have time to do two, so I picked my favorite. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so we all know the story of Priscilla and Aquila. Yes? Priscilla is the woman. Aquila is the man. It's going to come into play, obviously, soon. They were actually on Paul's leadership team in the church of Corinth, and they were believed to have helped him church plant in Rome and Ephesus as well. Husband and wife, not Aquila, Priscilla and Aquila. See, we see him highly esteeming Priscilla even more than her husband, Aquila. And the seven times that they are named in the New Testament, they are always named together. Ministry together. Of the five times that they were mentioned in the New Testament, her name came before his. 
which we may not think is a big deal in our day and age, but you take a trip back to Roman culture and it was an outrage that you would put a woman's name first before her husband's. It says that in Roman culture, it was rarely done in antiquity that it seems to indicate that Priscilla was the more prominent member of the ministry couple. I love this excerpt from a guy uh, called John Chrysostom. I love it because he was known to make statements against women. Bear that in mind when you listen to this. He says, This too is worthy, worthy of inquiry. Why, as he addressed them, Paul had placed Priscilla before her husband. For he did not say, greet Aquila and Priscilla, but Priscilla and Aquila. He did not do this without reason. But he seems to me to acknowledge a greater godliness for her than her husband. What I said is not guesswork, because it is possible to learn this from the book of Acts. And he's referring to Acts 18. Um, 24 and 25, and it says, where Priscilla took Apollos, an eloquent man and powerful in the scriptures, but knowing only the baptism of John, and she instructed him, aka teach, aka preach, him in the way of the Lord and made him a teacher brought to completion. Even a man who is known to say things against women can't doubt Priscilla's role in the church leadership team. I love it. And this is a little bit wild, but bear with me. The, the more I dig into it, the more fascinating it becomes for me. But there are actually many scholars who believe that Priscilla was the author of Hebrews. As you know, we don't know who the author was. They come up with some pretty convincing arguments that it could have been her. I mean, crazy, right? That a woman would write a book of the Bible, but not allowed to preach in church? Just saying. Okay, Chloe. The way that Paul greeted Chloe and her household was the same way that he uh, greeted two other men who were known to be church leaders. So... It can only assume that because he made the same greeting to her that he did to him, them, the men, that he put her on the same playing field as them. You know, Paul's letter to the Corinthians was a response to an official delegation that was sent by one of the church leaders of Corinth. And so he's named three of them in this book. So there's a one in three chance that the letter that was written, don't leave, it gets better, I promise. Um, <laughs> there was a one in three chance that it was a woman who wrote that letter to Paul in which he replied to and in which we now have a book of the Bible, 1 Corinthians. Wouldn't it be crazy if that were true, yet Paul didn't address that women, he, he didn't make a blanket statement over women in general that they couldn't preach in the church. I mean, this is all designed to be food for thought. Please go and do your own research on this. Keep an open mind when you go into the scriptures. Let's talk a little bit about the culture. We've addressed the author, and we've addressed quite clearly that he was pro-women. He had a high value for women. And we see from chapter 1 all the th way through chapter 7, his endorsement of women in leadership. So this is the culture and the time in which these were written. I love Jesus. I love how outrageous he is. So the Greeks had no respect for women, and they treated them like property, saying that they were not even human, and they had no purpose but to be the soil in which a child would grow, but had no part in the conception of mankind. It's a little bit of a side note. This is so funny and so fascinating to me. Did you know the Greeks believed that semen, yes, I said that word at church, <laughs> were actually little men that were planted within a woman's womb to grow? It wasn't until the 1800s 
that they realized this wasn't true. When they finally legalized the dissection of the human body in the 1800s is when they found out that women actually carried half the DNA for mankind. So, oh my gosh, I'm getting so excited. Okay, sorry. I'm like, I need a hanky or something. Um, this is what I love. Jesus came to turn society on its head. Can you imagine how outrageous it would be to claim that the Son of God was half God, half human, but the only human DNA that he had within him was that of a woman? Man had no part in the conception of the Son of God. It's outrageous. He was coming into a time and age where women were treated like property. And he was finally showing equality. See, that's what I love about the cross. The cross levels the playing field. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what gender you are. When you come to the cross, there is equal redemption for every single person. So then we have the Romans. They were a little bit better than the Greeks, but not much. I mean, the only other... Uh, value that they give t gave to women was that of self-gratification. So prostitution was rampant in the days that Jesus came. You know, I love that he was speaking at the well with a woman. And it says that when his disciples came back, they marveled that he was speaking to a woman. Without a word being spoken, see, they didn't care that she'd had five divorces. They didn't care who she was. The outrage was that Jesus was talking to a woman, period. This is the culture and the day and age which the Gospels were written. You know, most of the Jewish rabbis, they held women in disregard also. We know that from Gamaliel, the one who trained Paul, that there were a few who had high value for women, but most of them didn't. You know, and if you were a devout rabbi, they would uh, lay in bed in the morning and recite a prayer from the Baraka. Is that right? Did I say that right? Baraka. Baraka. Okay. I need to get like <laughs> in it. <laughs> I am not good at Hebrew language. <laughs> this is what they would recite. I want you to imagine this. Because I imagine this. And I think to myself, if this was my husband laying in bed with me, before he even got out of bed every single morning, he would recite this prayer. Blessed is he who did not make me a Gentile. Blessed is he who did not make me a woman. And blessed is he who did not make me an uneducated man or a slave. Can you imagine what that would do to a woman's identity to have her husband say, oh, thank God I'm not you. I mean, I'm just going to be honest. I would have killed my husband. <laughs> Sorry, babe. He's very pro-women, so I don't have to. <laughs> but seriously, that's what people, this is the culture in which this was written. We need to understand this. It's so important. The enemy's greatest attack is on our identity. He attacked Jesus' identity, and he attacks the identity of every man and every woman. And we only have to go back to the Garden of Eden to see that that's to be true. Okay, who was the audience for 1 Corinthians? Yes, the Corinthian church. Okay, you know it was deemed the original sin city? I mean, like Vegas had nothing on Corinth. Nothing. You know, it was actually quite a small piece of land, uh, six kilometers. Help me, what's that in miles? Four and a half miles, thank you for my American friends. Four and a half miles from, from shore to shore. So you had 100,000 people in this space. It's a little bit like London, like you're living on top of each other. 
I love London, by the way. <laughs> That's not anything against London. Um, anyway, it had the largest temple of Aphrodite in that city. And that's the Greek goddess of erotic love. And to the Romans, she was known as Venus. And it was the biggest temple, the richest temple, is actually known to have over a thousand temple slaves and prostitutes who dedicated their lives and the funds that they made back to the temple to serve the goddess of erotic love. It was also a port city. So most of the ships that were carrying their merchandise would stop in Corinth. And therefore, Sex trade was prevalent in this city in the day and age which Jesus came. You know, actually, it was the crux of their economy. So you start poking around at people's money and, well, people get scared. You know, likewise, they actually penned a, um, a term that was said to live like a Corinthian which meant that you would live a life of sexual promiscuity. They also were known for their drunkenness, which is why we see Paul addressing them and warning them against drunkenness. See, some of the scripture, it starts to make a lot more sense when we see the culture and the people that it was intended to be for. All right, we're going to jump into these scriptures. How long do I have? <sighs> I might need to sit for this. Okay, let's go. All right, ooh. I don't know if that's going to work. <laughs> okay, 1 Corinthians 11.3. The head of a woman is the man. Come on down. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not sure why I said that. Um, <laughs> okay. And again, I'm just giving the real basics here for the sake of time. Um, but we're going to jump in to, number three, to verse 3 where it says, But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Did you know that that word head is translated in the Greek as kihal and in the Hebrew as rahosh? Rahosh? Okay, we're going to go with rahosh. R-O-comma-S-H. Um, you know, in the, um, throughout the scriptures, people use this word a lot, but, you know, they only used that word to talk about leadership and authority, like we would deem like the head of a department. So for them to use it in that context, there's a 5% chance that that was the original intent of that word. If you translate it from the Hebrew to the Greek, 5% chance... Do you know there's a 95% chance that the original meaning of that word is actually source or origin? So let's read it again with that in mind. But I want you to know that the source of every man is Christ. The source of woman is man, and the source of Christ is God. Otherwise said like this, but I want you to know that the origin of every man is Christ. The origin of woman is man. And the origin of Christ is God. So we have to rely a lot on the translators. And we have to take a word that 95% of the time meant source and origin, which is where we get our English word headwaters from. So you've all heard the term that headwaters is the source of a river. And so that's what 95% of the time they translated this word to mean, is the source, the headwaters of a river. But yet we've chosen the 5% chance that it could mean ruler, boss, big daddy, whatever we want to say. <laughs> You know, I was actually talking to Joaquin about this. Bless my husband, everyone. He stayed up till 1 a.m. with me last night as we were, like, diving into the scriptures together. And he's just amazing. I love him. When I was talking to him about this, I'm like, this is the, like, original word that he meant. He's like, you know what? That makes so much sense. Because the source of our life is Christ. The source of our encouragement. The source of our empowerment. The source of our strength, of our joy is Christ. I mean, it makes more sense than him being a literal head 
And if that's the case, then the source of every woman is man. So the source of empowerment, of encouragement, of strength, of confidence for a woman should come from a man. See, that's why this is an us issue. We actually need your help in fighting this. We're not saying we're better than men. We love men, and we need men, and we honor men, and we respect men for the God-given calls and the way that God has created them to be. When Eve was created, she was given this, this word, helper. You know, that one word was also used to describe the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture. I'm just saying, like, the Holy Spirit helps me, right? You can't help someone if you're less than. I mean, if I'm bad at math, I'm not going to go to someone who's worse than me to help me. And I am bad at math, <laughs> so I know from experience. But I went to a tutor when I went to school, a math tutor. Guess what? They were a whole lot smarter than I was in math. And they helped me. See, we were there to help each other, not compete against each other. And if we think that woman is beneath us, then maybe we think Holy Spirit is beneath us. If we were all given the same word, right? Okay. Poke that bear and we'll leave it. Okay. You ready for a little bit more, like, nerdy stuff from the Bible? Okay, awesome. Okay, I'll come back to this, but the way in which the authors of the Bible wrote were a lot more eloquent than the way that we write today. I mean, they wrote in poetry, and the way in which they structured their writing was just beautiful, and it was intentional. It wasn't a text, like, FYI, like... Like, they went into a lot of thought before they penned the words they penned, you know? And something that we know from Paul and his writings is that he uses this grammar called interchange, this style of writing called interchange. And some of the scholars would call it the ABAB theory structure. So it's a little bit like in our days, on one hand, you've got this, and on the other hand, you've got that. You've got your A and you've got your B. See, he would go in to his A hand, which is when he would begin making statements that were to be applied to all Christians everywhere throughout time, blanket statements for the foundation of Christianity. But then he would also shift into this B hand where he was addressing specific topics, specific culture, in a day and age in which he was writing and to an audience that it was intended for that was never meant to become a blanket scripture for the whole of Christianity. And so we see him do this beautiful dance in so many of his letters where he goes, on one hand, you've got this biblical truth. And on this hand, you've got this cultural truth. And see, we've taken these cultural truths, misunderstood them, and thrown them on top of foundational truths. And it's just not the way that it was intended. Okay, let's hit 1 Corinthians 14, 34. Women should remain silent in the church. Okay. I'd just like to point out, though. Thanks, babe. I'd just like to point out in verse 31, before we get to 34 and 35, that it says, for you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. Notice how he doesn't say that all the men can prophesy. The prophetic was a very outworking public ministry. The, pr the purpose of the prophetic is to edify the church. So if he's saying that we can all prophesy in one verse, and then two verses later, he's saying, but women can't teach in churches. Kind of contradicts itself, don't you think? So let's take a look at this. You know, there was a symbol that Paul used in his writings in 1 Corinthians that he used 49 times throughout that book. And it was a symbol, and it was an N, 
with an accent on top. And they said that it's often not translated because more than it was a, an, an adjective of a word, it was an emotion. And that emotion in our day and age can be translated like this. What? No way. Nonsense. Let's see where that little symbol appears, shall we? All right. I'll give you two other contexts for this, and then we'll go into the passage of Scripture that we're looking at. One is 1 Corinthians 1, 12 and 13. And so I'm going to add the, no way, in where that symbol is in the Greek. It says this, Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Nonsense. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Another instance, 1 Corinthians. Again, he said this 49 times. I'm just picking out two for the sake of time. 1 Corinthians 9, 4, 6. Paul says this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife as do all the other apostles, the brothers, the Lord, the brothers, the Lord and Cephas? Nonsense. Or is it only Barnabas and I that have no right to refrain from work? I mean, it's an outlandish statement. And again, bear in mind, we're hearing one side of this telephone conversation. So the other people, they're asking questions in which Paul is addressing. Kind of like Paul. He was a little sarcastic. Man after my own heart. Okay. So let's read 1 Corinthians 14, 34 through 36. And I want to tell you that this symbol appears before the text in verse 36. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Nonsense! Or did the word of God originate from you? Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. Bear in mind, he just told everyone that they can prophesy a verse before. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for the women to speak in church. No way. Or did the word of God come originally from you? Okay. All right. Last and final scripture. Again, like there are literally like so many texts, so many books, so many commentaries out there by scholars and, and just pros. I'm not claiming to be a professional in this area, but I do dig where I see something that doesn't line up with the God that I know. And so I'd suggest that we all do the same. 1 Timothy 2.12, I do not permit a woman to teach. We have to understand that this book was written to the Ephesian church. And at the time, there was a lot of false doctrine that was being preached within that church. There were people who were deceived and false teachers in that church. So this is the letter. Timothy is writing to Paul, we can only assume, asking, what do I do with these crazy people? And this is Paul's reply. And I want you to notice something very specific. I'm going to read from 8 through 15. I desire, therefore, that the men, men, plural, pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner, also, that the women, plural, 
adorn themselves in modest apparel with proprietary and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls. I wore pearls in my hair. <laughs> Sorry, I just had that realization. Uh, or costly clothing. But, which is proper for women, plural, professing godliness with good works. Let a woman, singular, learn in silence and with all submission. And I do not permit a woman, singular, to teach or to have authority over a man, a man, not men, a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. The fact that he used a plural and then a singular indicates to us that for several verses he was addressing the whole church, the whole group of women. And then he shifts. Again, it's this dance that he's doing. All women, all Christian women, this woman, she should not be allowed to preach. He's addressing a woman and a man, which otherwise could be said as that woman. So let's read that again. That woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit that woman to teach or to have authority over that man. Kind of changes the context a little bit, right? You know, I also love at the beginning of this book, Paul says uh, in 2, 2, 3, for kings and all who are in authority that we, he's referring to himself, we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Did you know when it comes down here... Do you, wait, sorry. I have so many thoughts going through my head. There were also other people within this book that were called out by name who were deceiving the church and who were false prophets. And you know what he said? Turn them over to Satan. But you know what he said to this woman? Come let her learn. Because he was very well aware that she wasn't preaching because she was malicious. She was deceived because she had no education. And so he says, let that woman learn in silence and with all submission. And we think in our day and age that that's like a degradation. And we're like, oh, let's just shut her up. But actually, did you know that some of the most acclaimed students of the rabbinic law were acclaimed because they learnt in silence and submission. It was actually known to be a really positive trait of a student. Not a degradation or a demotion. But she needed to be educated because she was deceived. And he's not saying, I never permit women to preach. He's saying that woman needs to get an education. And while she's getting an education, she is not permitted to preach. See, if we look back throughout the whole Bible, the whole reason that people learnt was to teach. Why teach someone something if you don't want them to replicate it? Why would he want her to become a student if she wasn't there to step in as a teacher? Okay, so taking all of this into context and knowing that Paul valued women, not only valued women, but established them as leaders within his church, we need to come to these scriptures knowing that we don't have the other side of the story, but knowing there is another side of the story, that there are questions that are being asked. 
You know, at the end of our lives, when we meet Jesus, he's not going to stand there and ask us, did you do what your pastor told you to do? Did you believe what your brother and your father and your husband taught you? He's not going to ask that of us. He's going to say, what did you do with the God-given gifts that I gave you? And if he gave you a gift to preach, then you're held accountable to that. Not your pastor, not your husband, not your father. You are accountable to that. And we as a church cannot tell God which gifts he is allowed to give. We are not allowed to tell women which God-given gifts we give them permission to use. We are responsible for our own call and to steward the gifts that he has given us. You know, when I first heard the Lord tell me my call to be a pastor, I, uh, I was working in publishing at the time and I had a three-hour commute. Ugh, you think Austin traffic is bad. You should try Sydney. That's all I'm saying. But anyway, hour and a half there every morning, hour and a half back every night. And, you know, I felt like he gave me this call to speak. And I was like, God, I've never spoken in front of anyone. I've led a small group, but I've never spoken in front of people. And you're telling me that I'm going to be the pastor of a church? But you know what I did? Every single morning in that car, I preached. I was the only one listening. Every single message was for me. I answered every single one of my altar calls. <laughs> we are responsible for the gifts and the call that he places on our life. I have a, an encouragement to women. Can I encourage you? To come to God healed and free so that he can use us. See, because I know a lot of you may have been hurt by the church. And I am so sorry for that. But we can't carry our pain and rejection into the next season if we want to let God use us. I heard this uh, quote and it said... If you don't heal from what hurts you, you will bleed over those that never cut you. If you don't heal from that which hurts you, you will bleed over those who never cut you. And sometimes, and this is men and women, we all do it. We bring our hurt and our pain and our offense oftentimes into the next season of life. And we place that upon people who never hurt us. And I tell you that I was in a meeting the other day, a ministry leaders meeting here at Bethel Austin. We had 16 people. We have actually many more ministry leaders than that. But at this particular meeting, there was 16 of us. And nine of them were women. So we practice what we preach. And I want to tell you that this is a safe place. And if you're a woman and you feel called to ministry, then this is a safe place for you. And to brag on my husband a little bit. But I've never seen someone empower people like I have him. And he doesn't care. He's no respecter of person. He's a respecter of the anointing. And I've seen him raise up women, powerful women. And I've seen him give them his platform, and lend them his favor and believed in them before they ever believed in themselves. He always tells me, he's like, I can't wait for the day when I get to carry your bags. <laughs> when we did itinerant, I, you know, I mean, I didn't carry his bags, but <laughs> he was the speaker and I always just, you know, went along and he's like, I can't wait till you're the speaker and I get to come along. So... 
I am, I am a blessed woman that I grew up with a dad who believed in me and a blessed woman that I married a man who believes in me. Okay, this is my last thing before we close. Can I encourage you women to come ready? I love women. <laughs> and I feel called to help women realize the call of God on their life and see them accomplish it. So I love seeing powerful women. I love it. But I do not think a woman should be at the table as a token nod to gender equality. She should be there because she's anointed to be there. She should be there because she's cultivated the gifts of God on her life. She should be there because she has something to offer. Not because she's a woman, but because she's a person made in the image of God. There was a season of life where I felt like, well, you know, I just told you that I preached to myself in my car for a very long time. When we started doing itinerant, itinerant ministry, Joaquin would say every now and then, hey, do you want to get up and share what's on your heart? And I'd be like, ah, oh, I don't have anything. Um, or sometimes I would. And sometimes, oh, am I feeling it today? I don't know. And then the Lord spoke to me one time at the beginning of a year, and he said, I want you to be ready in season and out of season. And if you will say yes, then I will open the doors. But you have to be faithful and you have to be obedient and I'll do the rest. And honestly, by April that year, I'd spoken to more people than I had in my entire life combined because all I did was say yes. All I did was give even when I felt like I had nothing to give. I tried my best to cultivate the gift that God had put on my life. And can I tell you, this may sound super ridiculous, but before I get up here and preach to you, I preach to myself. <laughs> the whole message, jokes included. <laughs> and after I'm done preaching, I go back and I watch myself preaching. And let me tell you, it's not because I like the sound of my voice. I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, I just don't like the way I, I sound. Like, get over it. If you want to grow, then you better get used to the sound of your voice. But I go back, and I'll go back after this, and I critique myself. And I ask God, I'm like, God, what could I have done better? How could I have said that better? Oftentimes, how could I have been more appropriate? And I try my best to learn because God has placed a gift on my life and I want to be obedient to cultivate that gift. I take courses online on how to do public speaking because I tell you what, I wanted to throw up when I was sitting here in the front row just moments ago because <laughs> I had to speak to you all. Thanks. <laughs> but... But I'm trying my best to be faithful to the call. And I'm not responsible for what some people think. I'm not accountable to the Southern Baptist Church. <laughs> I actually love the Baptist Church. I, like, when I was a kid, I was, I was brought up in the Baptist Church. I think they have an incredible anointing on them for learning the Word of God. I love... I love the Baptist church, so no shade, except around this issue. And then I'll be throwing shade. <laughs> but the thing is, is if we are faithful and we're obedient, then we don't have to push our way to the table. We don't have to claw our way to the top. We don't have to become dominant. But we actually get to settle in to the unique gift that God has put on our lives. And we get to express the feminine side of God. Let me tell you, there are four places in Scripture where God himself is referred to as a woman. I'll just leave that one there. But he's not human. He's not a man. 
And we were both created... <laughs> uh, shocking, right? And we were both man and woman created in his image. And the cross leveled the playing field. Do you guys want to come up? I'm going to wrap this up. See, I believe that God will give us favor. And as we grow in favor with God, we're going to grow in favor with man. I feel like the Lord wants to do two things tonight. I feel like there are perhaps some women who have been hurt by the church. And I feel like he's bringing healing tonight. And he's wiping away offense. And that he is bringing a healing balm to our hearts. And I also believe that there are some women who are called to ministry. And I believe that this is permission for you tonight to step into what God has called you to do. I thought about asking Joaquin to pray over the meeting before I started, you know, just to make it legit. But, um, <laughs> but I actually am going to invite Joaquin to come up. Because I want him to help lead this time of ministry. Because I will cheer women on all day long. But we need the men to cheer alongside us. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. How good is this? So good. So good. You know, we're gonna we're gonna pray for the women and pray for the men in uh, in just a moment. But you know, she was just talking about believing, uh, referring to me, believing in in women, believing empowering, um, but really, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it's not, it's not Christ in men. It's Christ in each one of you, men and women, that is the hope of glory. And I just that started me reflecting on, I remember sitting in a, in a staff meeting uh, back in Reading, and someone asked Bill Johnson about uh, the way he disciplines people, because people do stuff and they make mistakes, but he always disciplines with such grace and with such restoration available, somebody asked him a question about that, and he just said, oh, he goes, yeah, when I have to discipline someone, he's like, I don't see them, I see the Christ in them, and I can't do anything that would crush or diminish the Christ in them. And I just want to speak to all the women in the room tonight, you have Christ in you. You have Christ in you, the hope of glory, and I don't have the right, and no man has the right to squash or to crush or diminish that Christ in you in any way. And in fact, the, that, that revelation that she brought forth, that, that the man being the head of the woman is, is the, the source or the headwaters. And in fact, if God's empowered us to do anything, it's to be a source of strength and a source of empowerment and a source of launching for you to come into your full destiny. So we want to pray into that right now. In Jesus' name. So if all the women in the room, if this resonates with you, can you just stand to your feet tonight? Thank you, Jesus. In, in just a moment, we're going we're gonna to worship. 
together as the whole body of Christ. The men and, and the women together, we're going we're gonna to bring this unison before God the way it was meant to be. But I want to I pray a blessing over the women right now. And I want to pray just a release of the full God-given potential in you. And then I'm going to ask for the men just to agree with that. In fact, let's just do that right now. Women, just put a hand on your heart. And I'm going to pray. And men, I just want you to stand in agreement with this. So if you, if you have a wife here, if you have someone here that you're family, friend with, or just find someone, men, just find a woman just to put your hand on uh, and just be a source of empowerment right now. So, Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that dwells inside of each one of these amazing daughters that you have created in your image, just as much as you've created each man in your image. And, Father, I thank you that you intentionally put your nature inside of them to be a reflection to the rest of the world. I thank you that you intentionally put your gifts inside of them to be manifest, to display the wisdom of God to principalities and powers. And I thank you that you intentionally put your Holy Spirit inside of them to be the hope of glory to the world. And I declare over you tonight that we cannot go where we're called to go without you that we can't accomplish what we're called to accomplish without you. We need you, and not just the shell of you, but the whole version of you, to come forth right now in Jesus' name. And so, Father, with every man in agreement, God, I just pray that your love would come and that healing would just begin to blow over every woman in this place right now. Every chip and every armor, every crack, every offense, God, that the love of God would just blow over it and just to begin to remove every one of those places right now in Jesus' name. And God, I know that you never remove something without replacing it with something better. So God, I thank you for every, every wound, every bruise, every crack that you're removing right now. And I pray that you would replace it with vision. And that you would replace it with courage. And that you would replace it with empowerment. Right now. In the mighty and wonderful name of Jesus. We thank you for that, Father. And everybody together says... Amen. 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 Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.